Unleash the dark. I guess I could use darkness tokens if I really wanted to. Or I could spend bonds. I mean, how many darkness tokens do you have? I only have the three. Yeah. I mean, toss one or two in there. Like, maybe one. Yeah, maybe I'll just throw the one. You should also have two more bonds with me, because I've spent mine with you twice. Yes. So... I think maybe I'll spend one bond with James, um, just because like seeing him in so much existential agony over the lack of self or the void of self makes Hamaliel weirdly more herself in a way. Um, but again, in depending on how you look at it, a positive or a negative way, because yeah, I have a prophecy about myself. I know how I die. It's not today. So I'm just going to do this thing because I know it's not going to kill me. Can I spend a darkness token and then a bond? Or can I only do one or the other? But the bond happens after. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you can do both, but you don't. You might not need to spend the bond. Okay, so click to roll. That's a nine. Cool. Perfect. Perfect hit. Okay, cool. So... You touch the cocoon. Briefly, you're not thinking anything about it. It just feels like there has been a, po a moment in time, very briefly, when you first settled on Earth as a creature, where you hadn't learned yet that certain kinds of food needed to be eaten with knives and forks. So you would go to very expensive restaurants and put spaghetti directly into your mouth by hand. It feels to you immediately by touch as if someone had cooked yarn in spaghetti sauce. And that's the thought that you have when you briefly touch it. And then you go, I should see what's inside this. And the minute, the minute you think about the idea of opening the cocoon, you are briefly overwhelmed by the feeling of... Something beautiful is inside here. And if I don't get there, someone else will get there first and take this beauty from me. I can't let that happen. I need to get inside here now. And then you open it, and immediately that thought disappears. So it sounds to me that at least one of the conditions I get from... Unleash the dark is avoid reprisals, harm, or costs. Because it mm -hmm. seems like this cocoon was trying to do something nasty to my mind, but I evaded it. So no reprisals. Uh, mm -hmm. Which means we get one more condition. I get what I want from them. I gain the upper hand. I expose a weakness or a flaw, or I confuse them. I don't really want to confuse a cocoon. I... Hmm... Theoretically, because this is the door of power, mm -hmm. you may, if anything that would act upon a person, you can decide it acts upon the harbinger before they even see that you are here. I think Hamaliel as the former law of dissolution, what Hamaliel wants from opening the cocoon is how do you end? Like, what is your ending state? How do I 
how do I expedite the anomaly of your existence? Aha, this is grand. So this is a thing that you will learn immediately, because that's how the move works. The cocoon is the door of power. If you destroy the cocoon, you destroy the door of power. This is weird and has multiple stages. A cocoon obviously is a thing that encapsulates a creature with the purpose of that creature metamorphing, which means that there is a version of completing this task, which is revealing the beauty of this person. You have no idea what that means. All of these things are weird, but you know that's the end state. But you also know that the cocoon is also the metaphysical door of power, and that while it still exists and is open, entering it will get you to the other side of the door of power, where the things that happen on the other side of a door of power happen. So if you wanted it to end, you could seek to both eliminate this door of power that has destroyed the cocoon, and in the event that any more metamorphosis still needs to happen, somehow also need to snap this waitress out of this trance. At least one of those things, at least still destroying the cocoon, ensures that nothing can still come in or out of it. But everyone else in this diner will still suffer, which is part of the problem that you're here to solve. For the most part. I mean, it's a problem that you're supposed to solve because you have compassion. Aya doesn't care, but he should. You, being the person touching the cocoon, are aware, that the f- are aware of the fact that all of these things are true. Sierra, all of these, th- everything that you witness is weird. You just saw Hamaliel touch the cocoon, go, this is weird. I should get into the cocoon. Have this brief moment of absolute ferality, open the cocoon, and then return to normal. Tempo and John, the only thing that occurs to you briefly in this moment is that you don't know how, but you know that Hamaliel might just destroy this door of power. And you don't know how you feel about that yet. Meanwhile, Hamaliel's just holding, like, the sides of the cocoon that um, they Yeah, just holding two edges <laughs> of yeah, um, what they... is essentially like, like, you know, you know how hoagies are cut? <laughs> We're holding the cocoon like you're holding two edges of a hot dog roll. <laughs> so Hamaliel looks over and says in a rapturous voice, even, a day of judgment is the word I will use. Um, goes, I know the ending. And basically tells the group that the cocoon wants them to go inside it. This is very important. There are bad things on the other side of the door. And that if we want to help the people and get rid of the cocoon, unlike our terrible boss, sorry, Tempo, parentheses, then we will have to figure out to free how to free the waitress from the cocoon as well. She is sleeping. Right, yeah, that's another thing that you notice. In the cocoon, the waitress's eyes are closed and she's actually, like, breathing normally. It does genuinely seem like she is asleep. 
Her jaw also seems sharper, but nothing else seems to have changed very obviously yet. I believe we must face the terrible, beautiful truth beyond, so that we may spare these people. So uh, we, like, eat her out of the thing and go through? Oh, I think the cocoon has room for everybody. It told me to go in, even though she is already there. I mean, would, wouldn't we want to eat her out of it anyways? If possible. Okay, I will do that. I take the waitress out of the cocoon. I have colossal strength. I can do this. <laughs> have I taught you what? Have I taught Homaliel what a yeet is? I want to be sure. Do you mean you take her out, or do you mean you shake the cocoon? <laughs> I would like. <laughs> I would like. <laughs> Audrey to repeat exactly what Tiara said. It was, it was essentially asking if we just like yeet her out of the cocoon, is she considered safe? Okay, cool. Mr. God, i.e. Mr. GM, does Hamaliel know what a yeet is? I, if I can propose. Yes! You have seen the original meme. In this, con in this context, I have no idea how you translate that further. You have to tell me what you got from immediately witnessing the meme. Okay, because Tiara said yeet, and because Hamaliel said, I'm going to take her out of the cocoon. Hamaliel looks back at the cocoon, holding it like a giant hot dog bun thing, and says, this bitch will be empty! and pulls the waitress out of the cocoon, and then throws her at Temple. Yeet! Aha! So this is why I wanted to clarify, because physically, that is not what occurs. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> you reach into the cocoon to grab the woman and fall inside. That is when you discover that inside the cocoon is several meters larger than an actual cocoon would be. You are not, like, engulfed in cloth. You are stepping into a, like, lilac, lavender-ish, insided other plane of existence within which this woman is actually standing upright, but is still perfectly asleep. It looks like she's leaning on something to decide that is invisible to you and is surrounded by open space that is surrounded by a wall that seems to be getting further from you the more you step forward towards it. Can I power through darkness to not completely fall into the cocoon? You can. Okay. <laughs> because I'm guessing that it's not just a matter of physics. Like, I'm actually being normed into another dimension. I would like to... It is a lot a matter of physics. But it's a physics that you're not... In fact, no, you're not gonna power through darkness. You're, you're gonna unleash the dark again. That's okay. the role that I want you to do. Okay. I think the opposite of yeet is yoink. So you yeah. yeet the waitress and then get yoinked into the... <laughs> Equal and opposite reactions. Here mm -hmm. we go. I am very surprised by this. So I am not going to spend darkness tokens and just hope that Bond can make up for the difference. So, rolling... It's a perfect hit anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, cool. So, again, 
this is not avoiding harm or cost. This is essentially gaining the upper hand. You move towards the cocoon and suddenly start grasping the weird physics of the space immediately and stop short before you step in. Your foot steps in and when you look down at your left foot, it looks like it is surrounded by a great deal of of space around it, which is making you feel like severe vertigo because if you look directly down between both of your feet, it looks like they're in two completely different planes as a result. But you are not like totally engulfed in space and to everybody else it just looks like you have a foot in the cocoon pressed up against the waitress even though you're not touching the waitress at all i warned the party that space is weird and that tempo your flying abilities are going to be very important very soon let's see do i know if i go in i will be able to come out like is it a straight fall down or it's just like, no, I no, 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 no. There's still there is ground. You will still be walk. You will still be moving in that space, and you know that if you walk in, the hole will still be the way that you can come out. But within that space, you can still navigate more action. Sierra, you see all of this happen. Mm-hmm. What is your immediate response to everything that has just taken place? Uh. Seeing all of this, it is, it is, Sierra is a blunt instrument asking to be able, with people asking her to do a delicate job. So it is, it is kind of the idea of, uh, okay, we need to go in there. He is in here. I mean, not here. There's another version of her inside that's standing up, but also sleeping. I don't see anything else in there. I stick my head in. No, I don't. I think she is already confronting what is beyond. Then oh. let's help her, says Hamaliel, and goes all the way in into the <laughs> Yeah, I think it's gonna, gonna follow, I guess. Well, shit, I'm not staying here alone. On the on the outside, it looks absolutely strange to you all. The waitress is still inside the cocoon. Very briefly, it looks like Hamaliel is lying up against the waitress. And then, immediately after that, Hamaliel disappears. Yeah, I'll follow Hamaliel in. Yeah, you witness this large cavernous space as well. I think everybody also follows. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's... I, I, Hamaliel goes in first, and then Sierra is like, I mean, may as well, and Tempo is like, I'm leader, have to go, and then John is sitting there looking around like, what? Okay, f- fine. I, and then follows with a, a confused uh, reluctance, but I do believe we all end up inside, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. As you are now all inside, you hear a voice from within this space. Again, looking in all directions, other than what looks like torn cloth behind you that is leading back into the light outside from the diner, it looks like you're just standing in large pink space. And the voice 
says to each of you, well, the, first, the voice speaks to each of you in a voice that you all know. Tempo. The voice speaks to you in the voice of the Relayam who was first responsible for bringing the temporal canon into, into the noise war. Ciara. I would like you to qualify this for me. Mm-hmm. Who is... Who is the first person that ever judged you cruelly for your power? I think it was... It was honestly probably a, a different division agent. Because yet again, it's... I don't... All I do is destroy. A lot of times, that's not Division's mission. Is it a Division agent, or is it someone before... Is it someone who witnessed you before you became a member of Division? Someone who witnessed you when you were still... Vulnerable, but still powerful. Yeah, I think so. This voice comes to you as the voice of the very last social worker that you spoke to before you joined the vision. John, it takes a while for you to know this voice, but you at some point place it as the voice of the very first face that you saw in the mirror uh, that you had taken from someone else. Who was that person and how did you come across them? their face? Uh, that's really, really strange because the first person who saw me uh, was Sierra. The origin story is uh, they the the last the very first thing John remembers is being discovered in this government lab by Sierra, who was busy burning the whole damn thing down, and then realized that John was a prisoner as opposed to a participant, and then rescued her. This is grand. Yeah. So this voice comes to you as Sierra's voice. Hamaliel. I am nervous now. This voice comes to you as a voice that you have heard, that you have witnessed in a prophecy before. Uh oh. Whose voice is that? It's the voice of the person who killed me the first time, and it's the voice of the person who is going to kill me for the second and last time. Okay. This is particularly traumatizing, even for John, because while for everybody else they will perfectly understand this tone of voice, for for Jane it will be immediately jarring, because the tone of voice is rude and disconcerting. But it asks in those voices, to each of you individually, what do you want? Is it a voice in our heads or a voice that we perceive as coming from outside us? You all perceive it as coming outside of you, as if it is booming in the room. I want to start with Jane, because the person whose voice you heard is in the room with you. How do you respond to Sierra speaking to you like this? I, yeah, I, 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 the, the problem is that it's, it's going to be kind of like, I know the moment is set up, but that means that, like, essentially Jane hears Sierra be like, what do you want? And it's like, excuse me, I didn't, what the shit, is now the time? Like, so you are all, like, head down moment, and John... Then is just like, whoa, okay. I, w- 
to solve the the mystery, like thinking that she is speaking to Ciara. Nobody hears Jane say that. The voice responds to you now in your own voice. You are here. You are witnessing the end of the road. Shouldn't that be enough? It, like in my voice? Yeah, this is now in your voice. Instantly changing the facial expression that you cannot see under Jane's mask. The end of... And like eyes searching around this this room... There's no like way to go forward. You said right. It's it's a, it's a, a nope. large but enclosed it's, space. If you continue walking in any direction, you will find more space. But it looks walled off around you at about thirty or thirty-five meters, wherever you stand. You will only witness it moving further as you continue moving. Then, uh, then I know how Jane uh, deals with most uh, eldritch abominations and and uh, transdimensional uh, deities. There's a, a glove-handed shrug, and she says, I thought there'd be more. There can be. And in front of you, you see this weirdly shimmering figure as if it were a ghost. But as, you, as it starts settling in front of you, can make out more clearly what it is. It is you. It is the silhouette of someone that you know in your mind or in your heart is or can be fully you. Uh, the you is, that you can be. This is interesting. It touches upon a different part of the sheet, which is it's possible that the character playing this playbook is actually the dream of someone else in of someone dreaming off like a, like Azathoth dreams Earth into existence kind of thing. And so that's what I'm imagining now is that if John is a projection, then the person who is dreaming is the person that she sees, but you understand immediately like that there's a connection there. So this is the first time that Jane gets to see his own face and like, oh fuck, that's what I look like. And that's that that takes the wind out of of John's smarmy sails a moment. As you are still reacting to that, Hamaliel, mm -hmm. what do you want? So I'm hearing the voice of my murder say very rudely to me, "What do I want? Can I still see Tempo?" You turn to find Tempo, and you cannot. I am relieved, and I say, "I want to meet you." The figure of the person who killed you emerges toward you. They are dressed in clothing that you haven't seen since you were formed on Earth. The regal, angelic dress that no one else can fathom, because if they fathomed it, it would unravel their minds. The otherworldly equivalent of... Like, going to a ball in the most expensive, most extravagant dress that one can wear. But at the, as they emerge towards you, they are holding the weapon that was used to kill you the first time. So, as we are seeing this from Amhamaliel's point of view, 
the audience sees that their murderer looks an awful lot like Tempo. And that the sword they're using has a definite silhouette in common with the psionic sword that Tempo pulled out of time. And Hamaliel smiles at their murderer sunnily, as they always smile, and say, That's how I remember you looking. As you are settling in this moment, Sierra, what do you want? And it's, it's a question that she has thought about before. And there's kind of a a moment where movements stutter and she looks around kind of trying to figure out where the voice is coming from and just goes to be loved. By whom? Someone who accepts me as I am. You say that like that person exists, Ciara. Well, we're phrasing it like a wish. It can be one. And emerging from your right side, you see a figure that you've never seen before, slender, soft, just about your height, masculine, but not uh, no one that you recognize, but moves with a mannerism that you recognize immediately as Jane. And Jane walks up to you takes your hands in theirs and says, is this what you want? And they're looking at you with pure compassion, a kind of depth that you immediately recognize as warmth and immediately notice that you have rarely, if ever had, in a moment of solace in your entire life. Are my hands still on fire? Your hands are no longer on fire, but the minute that you recognize that, you're feeling warmth from behind you. Kind of look towards the warmth, the like ever-present warmth. You know, it always feels like she's feverish or, you know, the kind of like you touch someone and you're like, you're burning up, literally. You turn, but John says... No, you don't have to look there. You just look at me. I, I mean, it's the, the the curiosity of understanding where this comes from, the 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 power, and it's Sierra's never really like she and Jane are close, but it's it it is of the um you know it's it's never it's like that thought never crossed my mind uh, and it's just it's like something instinctually just doesn't feel right it's uh, john doesn't touch me it, john has never touched anyone you uh, think all of that you think all of that aloud uh-huh. and well you think all of that silently rather uh-huh. and responding as if he's hearing you think these things Jane leans in a little further and goes, but wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like this to keep happening? Don't we both deserve this? 
It never crossed your mind before, but it's crossing your mind now. Do you like that thought? The warmth behind you gets more intense. More intense. And it it is of a feeling of this warmth, this presence that I, I felt like forever. And knowing that it's just like, this, it doesn't feel right. What about, where's everyone else? None, nothing else matters. You can have this. You can be happy. You know that. You know you deserve that. And now you hear Sarah, crackling behind you. And now Sierra is thinking about anyone that has gotten close. She is also in a way of touching people. They physically touching people leaves scars behind when your skin is superheated and you touch someone, no matter what, it's it's gonna burn. And now is thinking it's like, why isn't it burning? Like why isn't why am I not smelling? burning skin and you are i am you are mm-hmm. as you now as you think of it it occurs to you jane's fine but you are smelling something burning looking down at my hands is it is it where we're, where we're touching your hands are not on fire the heat behind you grows more intense and there is a there's a presence and there's a move that I think seems like it might fit here. Is it my dark patron? Yes. Would you like to read my dark patron? Yes, my dark patron. It was one of the surge ruin moves. Is a harbinger claims they will help you, assuring you that they are working against the other harbingers for their own agenda. Uh, it's when you call on your patron, tell them what you need. Keeper will describe what you must do in return. You can either mark one ruin to agree to their terms and describe how your dark patron becomes stronger, or mark two ruin to display your power to a horrifying effect, instilling fear and respect for, uh, in them. They will give you need what you need without advancing their agenda, but you suspect this was their plans all along. Mm-hmm. Uh, so choose. I think it's the the two ruin and Sierra burns with the power of the sun you never looked behind you yes I never did you you look John in the eyes mere moments before they are about to tell you You don't have to fight this. You can just be happy for once. Do you reply before you do anything? I'll... Before this actually happens, do you say anything? I say... I don't think that's in the cards for me. Sudden starburst occupies the entire space in uh, red and then white light. The camera pans behind you just before that light engulfs the rest of the space. 
to show that what would have what would have been available for you to see if you had turned around is the charred bodies of every person that you have ever met. But because you didn't turn around, the flames fade from their bodies and they all wake up as if they had just been stirred from a very restful sleep just before the wave of white light envelops their portion of the space. Tempo. What do you want? I want to convince Janice that she is drowning herself and the world, trying to fill a hole with envy that can only be filled with love. This general, previously not physically visible, emerges from behind you. You can hear his footsteps toward you. And is holding the temporal cannon holding like a like gatling gun sized version of the temporal cannon to your back and says why did you always have to be so noble when the world is always so destructive you can be a source of peace in this world instead you are always so patient for the things that do not care for you my heart dance calls me to see to know to remember, to flow and dance, to leap and linger. What does your heart dance lead you to? It seems only oblivion. Oblivion is fine by me. And then suddenly, a beam of light shoots through the general's torso, not wounding him. It seems like it passes right through him, like if he were a sheet of glass. And then his visage fades away. You no longer feel the cannon against your back. You can see the light, like, pass diagonally past you. And then a lot of warmth and a lot of light fills up this space. John, your space is suddenly, before you can respond even to the notion of knowing yourself, light fills up this space. Uh... Uh, Hamaliel, there is this brief moment as Tempo walks toward you, almost seductively, um, places a hand at the small of your back and places the psionic blade uh, at your neck and says, Maybe not today, but whenever you want. Just before warmth and light fills your space as well. <laughs> <laughs>